Welcome to episode 20 of the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing podcast. We have two of the most controversial figures in internet marketing today, Ted Murphy from Paper Post and Jason Calacanis, the outspoken founder of Mahalo.com. We have a little eBay kerfuffle and the Oscar-winning Song of the Week. Welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing Podcast, featuring the latest strategies and techniques to drive traffic to your website and convert that traffic into sales. Now here's the CEO of 10goldenrules.com, Jay Berkowitz. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever and whatever time this podcast finds you, thank you so much for joining us for episode 20. I've had a couple wild, wild weeks, including a trip to Costa Rica and some recording there, a wild nine days in which I did seven presentations. So if you met us at one of these meetings, if you were at the DMA, the South Florida Interactive Marketing Association search training, our Internet Marketing Boot Camp in Las Vegas, the Rocket Place eBay Conference in Orlando, or the Palm Beach Foundation nonprofit event, Your audio that we recorded at the events is in the hopper, and I promise to get it on the show in the next few weeks. If this is your first 10 Golden Rules podcast, a warm, warm welcome to you. Each week or so, we cover the internet marketing and how to use the internet for business, personal productivity, and fun. You can subscribe for free at iTunes or listen to each show at 10goldenrules.com. Just click on the podcast link or find us on several major podcast directories, including Podshow and Podcast Pickle. I record this show live in one take using a software called Cast Blaster, and I record interviews at events using an M-Audio digital recorder. There's no fancy post-production, so you probably get a couple bumps and bobbles. Please join in, though. This thing is great when you participate. Call our K7 Audio line at 206-888-6606, or email me with questions and comments to j at 10goldenrules.com. Share any new internet marketing ideas you have or websites you're using to improve your personal productivity. called Falling Slowly, and it's actually the Oscar winner for Achievement in Music, written for Motion Pictures, original song. It's called Falling Slowly, and we're going to close the show, as we always do, with a Podsafe song, the song of the week. So let's get rolling with some of our call-ins. We have, uh, first up, Keith Burtis with a really, really nice social media marketing story. Hi, Jay. Keith Burtis here. How are you? First, I want to thank you for uh, inviting me to uh, call in and let your listeners know the little project I'm working on. But first, uh, I think I might want to give you a little bit of background. Um, In terms of the social media space, I've only been really involved in it for about six months now, and I got involved uh, first through actually audiobooks and uh, after searching around for different content and marketing content, uh, I came upon Joe Jaffe's blog and Joe Jaffe's podcast. And after I had heard the iPhone for an episode and all of the little experiments that he runs on his podcast, I really got hooked. Uh, since then, I've purchased an iPod, and I use iTunes, and I've been listening to yourself and Mitch Joel and marketing over coffee, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I really enjoy it. Um, but the reason I'm calling is, first off, I want to thank you. Uh, I am a wood turner and a cabinet maker, and I am trying to get engaged the night before PodCamp Toronto. I'm actually going to PodCamp Toronto, and I'm using that as a little bit of a diversion to ask my girlfriend to marry me in terms of not not just taking her on a trip and, and having a little bit of a diversion so I get to learn a little something uh, and at the same time get to uh, spend a nice weekend with my girlfriend and, and ultimately hopefully get engaged as long as she says yes. 
but the bottom line was I was right on track for making all of my payments to the to the folks that were actually had actually made the ring for me and it, it turned out that it, that that weekend was going to be perfect in in terms of you know paying the ring off but I came into a little bit of a snag uh, with my car and I had to put a bunch of money into that last week so I thought you know I'm, I'm really going to try and turn a negative into a positive and I'm going to talk to the folks that I deal, that I talk to every day on Twitter and some other blogs and, and influential media makers and whatnot and, and try to start a little fund, if you will, where I could actually deliver uh, value to the community through my wood turning uh, and sell some of my bowls and some of the wine stoppers and stuff that I make and, and really give, give value to the community and sort of use it as a social media experiment at the same time uh, where they can, you know, come to my site, which is www.magicwoodworks.com. That's magicwoodworks.com. And underneath the social miracle button, you will find my little social miracle page where I am turning bowls uh, literally day and night and selling them on my web page to... Uh, basically fund uh, the ability to, to get the ring. Uh, the hotel is booked, and I really didn't want to be denied. Um, but I'm using Twitter. Uh, I'm, I've been blogging on WordPress, uh, and I use a little bit of Facebook. And those are basically the venues I've been using for the last six months, and I've really been able to build up a community. And I know that you talk about that a lot on your on your podcast and, and, and the, the importance of building a community and building the long tail of content. and I'm really beginning to see the light on that type of stuff. So thank you for inviting me to comment on your on your podcast. And ultimately, you did purchase a bowl from me, and, I, and I'm extremely grateful and extremely thankful for that. And hopefully, uh, if your listeners are interested, they will swing by my website and, and kind of help me make my social miracle come true. Uh, it is Monday right now, and ultimately my little social miracle project will probably have to end by Wednesday because Friday is PodCamp Toronto and one will be leaving. So that's it. And again, thanks a lot, and thanks for your content, and I look forward to all your future episodes. Bye. Well, thanks for calling in, Keith. I, I first heard about Keith's outreach on Twitter. And I went to his website, and there was a handcrafted bowl called the Pot of Gold Bowl. And, of course, uh, it had to come to the 10 Golden Rules head office, being the Pot of Gold Bowl. So I bought the bowl, I sent Keith a note, and Keith was uh, good enough to call in. Now, here's the great news. Everything went according to plan. Keith achieved his social media miracle. He raised the money for the ring. They made it to PodCamp Toronto. I have the bowl, and Keith is happily engaged to his now fiance so it's too late to contribute to the ring but if you like wood art it's not too late to check out keith's website and blog and uh, there's some really interesting stuff there and a really interesting case study for social media and of course all links will be in our show notes next up we have um, a couple calls regarding ebay i have some uh, interesting speaking engagements lined up and i have to send out a big thank you to scott pooler and debbie levitt after the As Was conference, they recommended me for eBay Live, and I will be speaking at eBay Live with some notables, including Seth Godin, and I think I follow the CEO of eBay. And uh, I, I can't thank them enough. It's a massive event. I think there's somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people who attend eBay Live. So let's uh, get to Scott Pooler, who was kind enough to recommend me to, uh, he, he's a podcast listener, and he recommended me to the eBay conference. Hi, Jay. It's Scott at allbusinessauctions.com slash blog. I'd like to thank you for accepting a challenge to come to the As Was Conference at uh, Disney February 28th through March 1st. We appreciate you coming and uh, joining us eBay people at the As Was Conference and uh, giving us a keynote address on the final day so we can all learn some more golden rules. I've been an avid fan of yours uh, ever since I found your podcast on uh, iTunes. And uh, I have learned 
many, many things from uh, your podcasts and other sources of information you've directed me to. Hopefully someday I can be a resource depended upon as much as you are. I'll be speaking at the conference on uh, eBay uh, consignment sales, and uh, I'll be very pleased to hear your keynote speech. And I just wanted to call in and thank you for coming to Orlando, helping us to present the advantages of Internet marketing to all the eBay sellers out there. Have a great month. I know you'll be busy. Looking forward to seeing you in Orlando. Have a great evening or great morning or great afternoon. And one last question. Any new Internet social networking applications that you've been using lately? (laughs) Have a great day, Jay. Bye. Thanks, Scott. We have some audio from that event coming up and also some contributions from Scott. It was great to meet a podcast listener live in Orlando. And um, and Scott is a real pro at Internet marketing, so he had a couple great suggestions. We'll be sharing that in the next week or two. To answer your questions, um, there is one new social application I'm checking out. It's called uh, Seismic, S-E-E-S-M-I-C. And I kind of uh, compare it to a video Twitter you're able to download short videos and create a Twitter-like homepage for your recent Twitters or your re- recent video tweets. Uh, so that's seismic.com. I got invited to the alpha. It's really just rolling out. It's not um, available for Mac yet, and there's a few bumps that they're working out. Um, and it's a, a founder out of France, and it, they got a, a new round of funding. So we'll watch Seismic. The other thing I'm really getting into is compete.com. And it's a great tool to analyze web traffic and competitive information amongst four or five different websites. So I seem to be going to Compete.com a couple times a week to compare the web traffic of companies and their competitors. Okay, next up is Auction Wally, Walt Kalenda. And he's been on the show before, and he's commenting on our eBay interview in episode 19 and some of the changes happening over at eBay. The community's definitely up in arms about this one. Let's uh, get to Walt Kalenda. Hey, Jay, this is Walt Kalenda, a.k.a. Auction Wally. I run the online antiques appraisal site, auctionwally.com. I've been a fan of your blog and your podcast for quite a while now. I've referenced it, I've commented a few times, and have linked on my site to it. I just listened to episode 19 of your awesome podcast again, and I really, really wanted to weigh in on the eBay thing. You know, I'm not an alarmist. I'm not one of these that just goes out and bashes eBay at the drop of a hat. But I really think that you ought to hear the other side of the coin on the changes that eBay's made. Maybe take a look around at some of the forums for yourself and see the absolute firestorm that has gone on over the last changes. This is a very, very big thing. Now, if you'd like to talk to me, I'd love to talk to you. I'm an, I'm an eBay veteran, so I know what I'm doing uh, and what I'm talking about. Although I may be opinionated, it comes from nine years on eBay. I can verify that, and I've been 25 years in the auction and antiques business. I'm a licensed auctioneer, and um, there is a lot to the story about the eBay changes. There are a lot of people sitting back um, infuriated with the changes. A lot of people don't understand them. And I think what angers people more than anything um, about the fee increases is, you know, eBay kind of sold it to people as a fee decrease. Oh, it's going to be better for everybody. And they were really a disguised fee increase um, for most people. Basically, what eBay did with these fee structures is it's cheaper and less expensive for the people that don't actually have much luck selling anything, the people that either list low-end items or uh, list things that don't sell. If you sell, and if you sell in volume and quite a bit, you actually pay more, and which is, I mean, in the real world, that's kind of backwards, isn't it, in the business world? So Debbie Levitt um, had a good reason for pausing when you asked her if it benefits power sales. It does not. They get a discount off of what eBay, so eBay raised the fees and then they gave them a little bit off of the raised fees. And the thing is, uh, people are not even so much as upset about the fees as the new feedback system they're going to be instituting. The new feedback system does not allow sellers to leave feedback. 
uh, for buyers anymore. I think it's a very, very dangerous path they're going down with that one. That's one of the cores of eBay's business model is their feedback system. It has worked extremely well with a few bumps here and there, but it has always, always worked well, and they are taking half of the equation out and tying the hands of the sellers on this. So thank you. Bye. Well, well, thanks so much for calling in. Um, what do you think out there? I, I, I definitely want to get Walt on a future show, and we'll discuss this in detail. And I know we have a bunch of other eBay experts who listen to the show. So please join in with your comments and questions for Wally and Scott and Debbie, and I'm sure they'll be kind enough to weigh in on this issue. Our call-in line, our K7 line, 206-888-6606. If you, if you have something to share, pause the show right now, add us to your speed dial, and give us a call, 206-888-6606. Next up, let's go a little lighter, and here's Larry Port with the Joke of the Week. Hello, this is Larry Port with RocketMatter.com with the Joke of the Week. This week's joke was voted the funniest joke in the world by the Laugh Lab Internet Project. Two hunters are out in the woods when one of them collapses. He doesn't seem to be breathing, and his eyes are glazed over. The other guy whips out his cell phone and calls the emergency service. He says, My friend is dead. What can I do? The operator says, Calm down. I can help. First, let's make sure he's dead. There's a silence on the phone. Then a shot is heard. Back on the phone, the guy says, Okay, now what? This is Larry Port from RocketMatter.com with the Joke of the Week. Okay. Okay, Larry. I'm trying to do that one live so I can enjoy it with y'all. And um, good news from Rocket Matter. The pro product was in beta when Larry's called into the show a couple times and participated. And they just launched last week. And Larry's uh, reports some great success so far. So congratulations to Larry Port and the team over at Rocket Matter. It is an engine for you to use to manage a, a big law firm. And it tracks all of your hours and tracks a whole bunch of different components and I want to learn more about it so maybe we'll get Larry live on the show and big thank you to Len Edgerly who called in last week and suggested that Larry do the do the joke of the week as an mp3 instead of a call in the quality was great um, I'm not sure if that was the best joke ever but um, thanks so much to Larry Port from rocketmatter.com Okay, next up, let's get to the team at 10 Golden Rules and see what they've been up to in the live blog section. First up, Susan. Hi, this is Susan. My topic today is about using social news sites such as Dig and Spin to promote your personal brand and blog. Being part of the social news scene is a lot of work and takes time, but is also a great way to brand yourself and become an influential part of the community. Here are some things to keep in mind before you dive in. Number one, determine the site you want to use and learn how it works. See how the community responds to certain types of stories. Observe the kind of stories that are on the front page too. Second, find the most popular users. Learn about what they do for a living and befriend them. Two benefits for doing this. You learn from those who know more than you do and they could help you out by featuring posts on their own blog. Third. Since being part of these types of communities takes time, you need to set time out of your day to explore and contribute. Just like being part of any on online community, you take time to get to know it and submit stories, as well as comment on other stories you find interesting. In order to build some sort of trust, you need to start by submitting stories that may be useful to others. The fourth thing to keep in mind is to connect with other users of the site and get to know them. Once you build a reputation of being a helpful part of that community and build contacts, most likely other people will return the favor back to your blog posts. And number five, ask friends that aren't on these social news sites to join. It's not a community unless there are people participating and you will automatically have another friend added to your list of connections. The most popular social news sites are Dig, Mix, Reddit, and Spin. Spin is focused on marketing-related stories, and there are new sites like these popping up all the time. 
This is Jeff. After much rumor and speculation, Google announced that effective April 1st, the display URL and the destination URL must be the same for all AdWords ads. Most ads are not affected by this change. The Google blog advised that redirects will still work, such as if you use a tracking URL, and vanity URLs are still accepted as well. For instance, 10goldenrules.com slash podcast, as are the use of subdomains such as podcast.10goldenrules.com. AdWords will be sending alerts to the AdWords accounts affected before the April 1st de deadline to let you know if you have ads that are not in compliance with the new policy. Hi, this is Anthony. My topic today, an Elvis sighting at Affiliate Summit Las Vegas. I think that I saw Elvis from the Roof Deck Club at the Rio during the Affiliate Summit in Las Vegas this past week, where more online marketers launched ad networks. Soon, every internet show will be called the Ad Network Summit. At each of the recent affiliate summit shows, it seems a new ad network will launch or elevate itself in this arena of online marketing. This year, one of the new hits was the Affiliate Kings, who gave away custom skateboard decks at their booth. There are two tiers of advertising networks. First-tier ad networks have their own advertisers and publishers. They have high-quality traffic, and they often serve ads and traffic to second-tier networks. Second-tier networks, which is most of what pops up at these shows, have done some of their own advertisers and publishers, as well as they are actively syndicating ads from other advertising networks. One issue that seems to trouble the merchants is knowing where the volume comes from with the so-called blind networks. Often the offers are broken out to incentivize registration paths, and with promises to win a free iPod, these sources are magnets for fraud and low-quality leads. Groups like OLGA or OGA attempt to clean lead generation and CPA programs in check. If an ad network associates themselves with this new association, then chances are they are trying to stay above the radar and white hat. The rep networks, which own their own publishing inventory, are generally in this category. By the way, that wasn't Elvis that I saw in Las Vegas, but I did see Wayne Brady make a surprise appearance at the hotel bar at Palazzo, where he joined the band for impromptu covers of Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, and James Brown. Hi, this is Margie. A couple days ago, Seth Godin's blog featured a thought-provoking entry titled, Not a Trick Question. His question was, is it better to make stuff aimed at people who usually buy your product, or aimed at people who rarely do? I often find myself asking a variation of this question when it comes to marketing our clients. Although it's vitally important to identify a target you do well with, I often challenge clients to think along the lines of how to reach untapped markets. It can be as simple as asking, how can I modify my marketing plan, even if only slightly, to appeal to a different or more broad demographic? Sometimes it involves an actual change to the product or service, but often it requires only a tweak in messaging to open up new opportunities. So which do you pick, the familiar or the untapped? Seth was referring to a product, so he pointed out you have to pick one or the other. But when it comes to marketing, you can easily choose to target your messaging to more than one demographic and test to determine effectiveness. Hi everyone, this is Michael. According to the International Herald Tribune, paid search will reach $8.6 billion in the United States compared to $2.6 billion spent for natural search engine optimization. With people starting to have higher trust in natural search, experts claim that companies will begin to focus more on optimization and less on paid links. This is putting a little strain on Google stock. One expert mentioned that almost 75% of all clicks come from unpaid search results. Consumers are finding better search results with the natural search than pay-per-click. Advertisers and brand name companies are beginning to realize this and refocus their natural search optimization efforts to gain search engine real estate, which is on the left-hand side, to attract their consumers. Well, thanks to the team, as always, a real group of provocative blog entries, and they turn them into live audio for us for the show. What do you guys think? Um, Margie and Seth Godin asked a really interesting question. Who do you target? Do you target the most likely prospects, or do you target a broader range of people and try to bring them into the conversation? What do you think about natural search engine optimization as the biggest opportunity up and coming for search marketing, internet marketing, and frankly, um, budgets? Like, where are you guys at with a oncoming uh, recession threat? Where are your budget plans for the coming year? I'd love to hear what everyone out there, all the listeners have to say. Give us a call, 206-888-6606. I recently wrote a blog post and I said that 
Um, I saw two entries the same day. Affiliate Summit announced that the show was completely sold out and tickets were being sold on eBay. I thought that was fantastic. Sean Collins, the organizer of the show, said that he partially funded his college education by scalping tickets for events. And so he's wide open to people selling tickets to Affiliate Summit on eBay. And um, at the same day, uh, the Internet iRetail show announced that their booths were sold out. So everywhere I go in Internet marketing, the, the market is still super hot. Everything's still sold out. Everything's still really hard to get into. But what are you guys seeing out there in your businesses? We're seeing a couple of our retail clients reporting some softness in their sales, uh, not hitting you know, their, their sales levels of last year. And it's the first softness I've seen in the economy in the last few years. But I'm not seeing it in the, in the pure internet economy in the online shows. So I'd love your feedback and comments on that topic. Okay, so now let's get to our featured interviews. We have, as I mentioned, a couple fairly high-profile figures in the internet marketing business. First up, we're going to get to Ted Murphy and PaperPost. If you don't already know about Ted, um, I, I interviewed him at Webmaster World, and Ted is the founder of a, of a relatively controversial approach to internet marketing called PaperPost. So let's get to the interview, and I'll talk a little bit about it when we get out. I'm here with Ted Murphy. He's the founder and CEO of Isaiah, also known as Paper Post, right? Uh, well, Isaiah is the parent company of Paper Post, but it was originally Paper Post uh, was was its own company. Great. And tell me how the products work and how people can use them. Uh, well, Isaiah offers a variety of different uh, platforms and services geared towards advertisers and bloggers. Uh, the most well-known of those is, is definitely PaperPost, and PaperPost is a marketplace that connects advertisers and bloggers for the purpose of uh, promoting products, services, or websites. Great. And PaperPost is certainly a controversial type of approach. Some people feel that it, it ruins the anonymity of blogging and posting. What do you guys, how do you guys counter that? Uh, you know, I, I think that that's a pretty naive view of the, of the blogosphere, um, one of the reasons that PaperPost was originally created was uh, we recognized that there was a, a large amount of uh, you know, agencies and, and PR firms that were already reaching out to bloggers, and we wanted to be able to offer a service that would allow smaller advertisers who couldn't afford agencies or, or big PR firms the ability to, to reach out and promote their, uh, their products or services on a large scale. So tell me a couple of the case studies of companies that really like it and, and feel it's Incredible way to go. We, you know, we've got uh, over twelve thousand five hundred different advertisers now. Uh, everyone great. from movie studios to the small mom and pop, um, you know, Yahoo stores. Uh, you know, some of our our bigger advertisers are using it to to gain buzz around a movie. Um, another one is uh, anyone we we heard of. Uh, right now, we're promoting the latest uh, Johnny Depp film. Uh, Sweeney Todd. Um, we just finished up a campaign for Hamilton Beach uh, where they're promoting their power mixers. We have a, a good amount of the bloggers. Yeah, Hamilton Beach power mixers. Yep. <laughs> yep, power mixers. So, you know, we have we have a good amount of bloggers in our system that are stay-at-home moms that um, are very passionate bloggers. And, uh, you know, for them in particular, that was a, that was a, a great opportunity because they could target those types of bloggers. And how does it typically work? How does someone know if someone's posted and how much do they pay per post? Uh, the payments range from anywhere from $5 to $2,500 per post. When a blogger uh, creates their post, they submit it back to us and we do a review to make sure that there's no pornography or anything else like that. Uh, they always have the ability to, to speak their mind, but we do have to insulate the advertiser and, and, uh, from things that would... Uh, that they wouldn't want to be associated with. Um, and that all comes back into our system in real time. The advertiser can track uh, the page views and the click-throughs from the individual post, and uh, they all do, do all that through a self-serve uh, mechanism. As an advertiser, how do you engage and do you set a limit? Uh, 
when an advertiser comes into our system, they can select criteria for the types of bloggers that they want to accept in the program. So that can be based on traffic or that can be based on their quality ranking in our, st- in our uh, system. That can also be bank- uh, based on the individual categories. Based off that, we give them some price ranges of what, we, what the averages are in the system. Uh, and then they name really their own price of what they're willing, what they're willing to pay. Ultimately, it comes down to the ROI that they get back from our system that drives the price. Did you hear about the big pay-per-Twitter announcement? I did not. There was a major, major announcement that there's a new pay-per-tweet program, and there was uh, several thousand dollars that had already been made in the program, and it was a huge announcement, and it was made on April 1st. And then I found out it was an April Fool's joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? Because I didn't hear about that. <laughs> Maybe that's a new business model for you guys. I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> well, there, there's, I mean, there's certainly, there's plenty of room out there for um, people to monetize their, their influence. And if, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there, was a, if there was a service like that because if someone has, you know, a couple hundred or a couple thousand of people that are subscribed to, you know, their Twitter, um, and you know they promote something. Ultimately, that could that can drive some traffic for a, for an advertiser. That's great. Any last things you'd want to say to some of your proponents or your uh, critics? Uh, I would say thank you for all the free PR. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we just recently crossed a hundred thousand bloggers in our system and are showing no signs of, of slowing. It's only growing faster and faster. And uh, look forward to releasing Social Spark in January of next year, and uh, giving what's our that, what's that going to do? Social Spark is really actually turning the paper post model inside out. Uh, we are being completely transparent in the blogger, in, as far as exposing the bloggers that are in the network, exposing the the advertisers, providing mechanisms for them to communicate free, freely with each other. Uh, and uh, you know, providing a level of, of granularity from a blogger standpoint, where we're actually providing traffic information to an advertiser, demographic information, so they understand what this blogger's actual influence is. And how can I get a twenty-five hundred dollar paid post? What, what's that for? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to have a pretty uh, high-ranking, uh, high-ranking blog. I believe that that post was for somebody that was in the uh, the top ten thousand of of Alexa. Uh, so it, there's only 10,000 of them out there. <laughs> and actually, probably a very few, uh, a very small amount of those are blogs. Great. Well, thanks so much, Ted. I appreciate your candor. All right. Thank you. Oh, that was Okay, so if you didn't already know about Ted Murphy and Paper Post, what do you think? Did you know that blogs can and and often do contain paid-for endorsements. When you read a a movie review about Sweeney Todd, does it bug you that somebody might have been paid for that? Please call in and share your feelings, 206-888-6606. Now, I wanted to play the interview with Ted so that you have some background for the next conversation. Our next guest, Jason Calacanis, has been an outspoken critic of Paper Post. And he's also been very outspoken about a number of the not totally ethical internet marketing practices. Now, clearly there's some gray area here, right? If the blogger totally loves the movie Sweeney Todd and adds a link to the Sweeney Todd website and gets paid for that, I think we're all cool with that. But if someone goes and does a post for that that mixer and they've never seen it, never tried it, and they're just doing it to get the, uh, the paper post revenue, I think we all have a problem with that. Now, there's, so, so there's that gray area. So let me talk a little bit about Jason first. I sat down with him right after he presented the opening keynote at Affiliate Summit in Las Vegas last week. He's incredibly well-known in the dot-com world. He founded an industry publication called the Silicon Alley Reporter. Then he developed Weblogs, Inc., which he sold to AOL in 2004 for over $25 million. He's also very, very passionate and outspoken on many issues. His blog is very popular. And he does a lot of video at calacaniscast.com. Links, of course, in the show notes. And one theme that he's been very, very consistent about is the overall goodness and ethical behavior on the internet. Jason called out unethical affiliate markers in uh, unethical affiliate marketers in his in his affiliate summit keynote. 
And he called out Paper Post in the same presentation and, and our conversation that follows. And he recently called out the black hat or unethical SEOs or search engine optimizers. And then he got in even more trouble when he said SEO is BS in the question and answer session. And, and he used the more colorful term. He didn't use BS. So let's get to the conversation with, with Jason. And I'll expand more when it's done. But, you know, I, I want to say that I think Jason really, really means well. But often he comes across as a little bit brash and a little bit straight to the point. You know, he honestly does care about the goodness in the Internet. So anyways, let's get to our conversation with Jason. And, oh, yeah, about halfway through, Jason and I almost got wiped out by an attorney who was riding a motorized scooter due to an injury he had. And he had his cast and he had his his crutches and he was driving this motorized scooter and he crashed right into our table. So that's what the pause is about halfway through. So let's get to Jason Calacanis from Mahalo.com. I'm here with Jason Calacanis, and Jason just gave the keynote presentation at Affiliate Summit West in Las Vegas. Congratulations, Jason. Well, thank you. I, uh, I put a little bit of work into it, and, and I tried to think about the industry a lot because, frankly, I'm not an expert on affiliate marketing, and just like I'm not an expert on search engine optimization, and... You know, when I give talks of these things and I'm not an expert on the space and I have a peripheral knowledge, I have to sort of take the knowledge I do have in publishing and building quality sites and sort of try to learn about these other disciplines and how I think what I've learned intersects with what other people are doing. So I want to get into some of the content in a minute, but first let's start with your background. Well, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've done a bunch of different startups and I'm on my fourth right now or fifth, depending on how you count them. And uh, I've been up, I've been down, I've been left, I've been right, I've you know, had some big successes, I've had some big failures. You know, I just love what I do. I'm, in the, I'm an internet entrepreneur who just likes to swing the bat and keep, you know, if you keep swinging the bat, at some point you're going to hit the ball. And so, you know, I'm just having fun doing what I do. So Silicon Alley was the first one that gained a lot of prominence? Yeah, I did, I did a Silicon Alley Reporter magazine about the internet industry in 1996 and it grew it to a pretty large business uh, with a lot of employees and it was very high profile and... I uh, wound up selling that to Dow Jones. Then I did Weblogs Inc., which is a big blogging company, and sold that to AOL. And now I'm doing a company called Mahalo, M-A-H-A-L-O, which is uh, means thank you in Hawaiian. It's a very special word. And Mahalo is a human-powered search engine, sort of somewhere between the Wikipedia, DMOZ, and Google, and About.com, sort of like a help engine, which I guess is a really corny thing to say. It sort of sounds like I'm Ask Jeeves or something, but uh, we're not a search engine. We're a content company building guides to the web makes it sound a little bit more like Squidoo, even though it's not really Squidoo because it's not spam in an open platform like Squidoo. Because anyone can contribute to Squidoo, but your folks have to be approved or they have to be on staff? Um, we have a blend. We have full-time people, we have paid part-time people, and then we have the public. And the public can contribute, but their contribution is looked at, and we develop a reputation score. So if you submit links to Mahalo and they're good... Your reputation goes up. If you submit links and they're bad, your reputation goes down. And we'll treat your future reputation, your future suggestions based on your reputation. So if you submitted spam, we're probably not going to take your future recommendations too seriously, even if they're good. And if you've submitted great stuff, we're going to look at your future recommendations very, very attunely. So we might not spend much time looking at a spammer's future contributions, and we might not list them on the site. But if you submitted 10 great links and we've accepted all 10, when you send in your 11th or 12th, we're going to look at it right away. We're going to spend two or three minutes considering it, and we'll probably put it up. So if you think about that as compared to, say, Yahoo, if you don't agree with the Yahoo search result, who do you talk to? An SEO or yourself. Uh, if you disagree with how we're ranking sites, you can actually talk to the people at Mahalo or the freelancers and have a debate with them. Not dissimilar to what happens on Wikipedia where you discuss the search, not the search result, but you discuss the... You know, encyclopedia. Yeah, and you discuss, you know, should we put George Bush as an idiot or should we put George Bush as a genius or should we put George Bush as the president of the United States? The obvious question you get it all the time is you're taking on Google in a market. How do you think you can build a better search engine? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think I'm taking on Google, to be totally honest. I think of Google as a platform uh, like Microsoft's operating system or Linux or something like that that we're building on top of. We are building pages for the top search terms. We're building content, authoritative guides. So we're going to do Paris Hotels. We're going to do iPhone. We're not going to do your pizzeria down the street. We're not going to do the girl you dated in college. 
That's what Google's for, every possible search. So Google's this big operating system, and we're partners with them. When we don't have a search result, which is going to be a lot of the time, we'll show you Google. Uh, when we don't have a guide page, we're going to show you Google results or Yahoo results. And when we are looking for to monetize our pages, we use Google AdSense. So we are operating in the search space, the guide space, but we're more akin probably to Wikipedia or DMOZ than to Google. And Google, as you know, loved the DMOZ for a long time, and we're partners with it. And they used to syndicate it and take it pretty seriously. Since it's been overrun with spammers, I think they take it less seriously now. So uh, I consider us more, uh, we're more to Google what DMOZ was. You used the term second click in your presentation. You want yeah. to define that, explain it? Well, I didn't come up with the term second click. Other people have um, championed that. But basically what it means is if you did a search for iPhone or Paris Hotels, what would the second click be? And you take that second click and put it up onto the first page. So Paris Hotels, you might want to know what the phone number of the hotel is, how many stars it got from Michelin, what photos said, what former said. So we sort of go and do the second or third click for the user and then put that on one single page. Uh, so it's sort of like saving users time, compressing their searching for information into one page, which helps users. You know, why should they have to hunt and peck for content? I love the concept, so congratulations. Well, thank and, you. and I know you're going in the right direction. You're I hope very, we are. <laughs> you're very active on your blog and Facebook and Twitter. Yep. I think one of the one of the most active people on Twitter, for example. Please share how you use these tools to build your personal brand, and how you use them for business and as tips for other folks. I uh, am myself on these services. I I interact with people. I try to be a normal guy, which I am. And you know, I'm the CEO of a company that's high profile now. But I was well, I've always been just a normal guy. I was a writer, a journalist. You know, I was nobody important just five years ago. And now some people consider me important. But um, it's given me the ability to sort of keep a dialogue going with normal folk doing good work. And I consider myself just a normal guy. And so it's my way of really having my ear to the ground and being part of the street level of what's going on on the Internet. I don't want to be insulated. You know, I don't want to be like the guy who comes and gives a keynote and comes out from backstage. And after the keynote, goes backstage and doesn't talk to anybody after. After the keynote, I like to sit on the edge of the stage and talk for a couple of hours. And, uh, which I stick you the just did, by the way. I just did. And uh, I love sticking around the conference and talking to people. I le- that's where I learn stuff. I think these social services are like that edge of the stage, sit around and talk about stuff, experience the stage dive at the end of the talk. So I love to mix it up. The people who, and a lot of times, you know, I get haters or whatever. And they typically, though, if you get past the hate, have a lot of good points. So I think if you're, if you want to get to the truth of what you're doing, you should be really active in these things because people will criticize you and they'll compliment you and you can really get to the core of what's good about what you're doing. The launch of Mahalo generated a ton of buzz. Yeah. I think a lot, I of, a lot of that was on the tales of, you know, you, you Twittered, you Facebooked, and, and yep. it was buzz for Jason. What did you do to stimulate it? Or did... I didn't really do much. I think we had a lot of high-profile investors. I think it was an audacious idea. And I think it was pretty good execution. And so... I don't think it was one thing that we did, you know, so I couldn't tell somebody like, oh, here's how you capture that magic in a bottle to do it for your startup. But let's face it, I have gotten a lot of press. I pissed off a lot of SEOs. I'm going into the search space. I'm backed by the investors who backed Google and Yahoo. I'm totally transparent and I'm doing an idea which people think has been done many times before. So it was sort of the perfect storm, I think. And I'm not, and I launched it at the Wall Street Journal D conference. So it's you know just I think a lot of little things added up to being high profile. And I'm very very grateful for the fact that people give me their attention and consider what I'm doing. And but the truth is, if what I'm doing sucks or is boring, I'm going to get my ass kicked just like anybody else. So everybody's like, oh, you know, you have to be Jason Calacanis or Kevin Rose or Guy Kawasaki to launch something. It's a double-edged sword. Guy Kawasaki keeps launching stuff that sucks, and he keeps getting his ass kicked. Kevin Rose keeps launching stuff that's cool, and he keeps getting more praise. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like, you, you know, yeah, you can get attention. Well, you get the spotlight, you better have something good. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. There's something. Oh, I'm sorry. My crutch. Yeah. Ah. Sorry about that. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Everybody's okay. okay? You guys may not know what just happened, but we had a wheelchair crash into the table. It was unbelievable. That was a first. Exciting live interview factor. Wow. If only that was on video. You guys don't even know what you missed. The license has been revoked. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, thank you. Here we go.
I'll edit it. So you start to mention the SEO conference and it yep. caused a real firestorm. You've been pretty outspoken against SEO. What's your point? Well, I've always believed that if you make great content, you should just leave it at that. And that the SEO industry has created sort of a cold war where, like, if you don't SEO, you don't rank. And so it's there's just too many people who want that traffic. So what I've learned since saying SEO is bullshit, <laughs> which was just an off-the-cuff remark I made. It wasn't like I was grandstanding. I was just a throwaway remark during a Q&A session was really that I, I never used to focus on it. But now that I've come to learn and I learn a lot of SEOs, I realize a lot of good sites actually don't rank. A large part of my inspiration for Mahalo was actually a lot of what I learned from SEO, which was the good sites aren't ranking. Why? Oh, there's a lot of people competing. Oh, there's a lot of average sites. There's a lot of good sites. There's a lot of bad sites. The truth is the average sites, the good sites, are the problem in a lot of cases. They're the problem because the excellent sites, the truly authoritative ones, the really cream of the crop, the 10 out of 10s, they don't rank in the top 10. A lot of times it's the average, low quality, or the good that rank. Do you think the, the excellent sites just haven't been SEO'd professionally? Because like, the great, think in the theory, great content gets links and gets real links, gets authoritative links, gets natural links. In theory, um, but in practice, it's too easy to game the system and it's impossible for a machine to know the difference between something that is good, great, amazing, stunning, life-changing, you know? It's just too subtle of a difference. It would be like sending a normal person to, a, you know, the 10 best sushi bars around the world in the 10 best cities and saying, tell me the difference between them. They wouldn't be able to tell. You would need a palate and a knowledge base of sushi that maybe, maybe three or four people on the planet have to be able to tell the difference between the 10 best sushi restaurants in the world. Well, that's what's happening on the internet. Who knows what's the best travel site? You know, who really is the, the judge of that? A machine is not a good judge. So search has been good enough, and it still gets you where you're going. Nobody's dying out there. But could it be better is what I think, and I think it could. You want to extend the example you give of a Paris hotel search on Google versus yeah. Mahalo? Well, it's not just Google. I mean, it's Yahoo and Ask actually have even worse results. But they're filled with a lot of, you know, affiliate sites. So if you're, everybody knows this, if you search for a hotel, a million pages about the Bellagio or Wynn Hotel in Vegas or the Four Seasons Hotel. Why are there a million pages? Does the Wynn produce that many? Are the hotel review sites doing that many? No. It's zillions of affiliate link sites stealing content, writing cheesy content, paying somebody five bucks in the Philippines to write bad content. And that stuff is polluting the web with average content. And so people make the argument, oh, well, it's helps the user and the way I look at it is do, does, this, does the world need the one millionth and first website about the Bellagio Hotel probably not so do something else with your life you're kind of getting into the theme of your presentation today which was about do something great you said the affiliate industry is like a great pond with amazing beautiful fish and what's the industry going to do to make sure we don't pollute the pond and take all the fish out and put our gas oil into the, into the pond? And you want to expand on that theme a little bit? Well, I, I just think a lot of people have short-term thinking in the affiliate space. You know, I hear things from people like, I don't know why I'm not making any money. I've, I've been working on this site for three weeks or three months. Well, you know what? If you're going to make a magazine or a cable channel or a newsletter that's profitable, that's an investment of two, three, four, or five years. But everybody on the internet thinks that you have the God-given right to just be making a fortune in six weeks because the affiliate industry has websites that say you can be making a fortune and they hold up checks. You can be making $100,000. You can be making $300,000. It's, it's, it's a very get-rich-quick environment. As a matter of fact, people are walking around with T-shirts. I saw one. Make 150000 monthly, like 20 people in red shirts for monthly.com. I'm giving them a free ad, I guess. But, I mean, $150,000 a month, that's $1.8 million a year? Can I get in on that? I'd like that job. I'll, I'll give up CEO-ship of Mahalo for the $1.8 million salary. I guarantee you none of the 20 people reading that red shirt are making $1.8 million a year. I guarantee you they're all making under 100 So if those people are so smart wearing that shirt, why aren't they just making the 150000 a month? I don't think those people make $150,000 a year. You gave everyone tips for performing at the Silicon Valley level, the seven, eight-figure kind of performance. What are some of the tips for building the next web 2.0 site I think you have to do something unique right there's no sense in just copying stuff that's out there you have to evolve it so 
you know, if you make a dig clone, that's probably not going to go somewhere. You have to evolve the dig concept, right? Because dig was an evolution of delicious, and delicious and dig were evolutions of slash stop. And so you really have to evolve what's out there. You know, when we did Netscape and Propeller, we evolved what we thought were uh, shortcomings in Delicious as Populist and in Dig by having editors. Something that I think, you know, uh, Dig is starting to do, have editors. And people are shopping around business plans of social networks with, you know, social news sites with editors. Uh, so I think, you know, you really have to say to yourself, is this going to provide a discernible difference in service than what's out there? I wouldn't do Mahalo if I didn't think it would be discernibly different than About.com or DMOZ or Wikipedia or Google. What would be the point, right? And so you really have to bring something to the table. And so you don't have to rush into it. You don't have to think. You can think big but take small steps as well. So if you think you want to have Weblogs Inc. and have 100 blogs and you know 10 million people coming to them a month, start with one and get one blog to 100,000 people a month before you start the second. And everybody likes to do the busy work, creating 100 logos, 100 websites, uh, you know, and a hundred SEO things and dib, but they don't actually make the product. So just focus like a laser beam on making a great product, and everything else works itself out. That's what people forget. They, they get involved in everything but the actual product creation. Product creation is all there is in our industry. You, know, you talked about oh, marketing and people paying a lot of attention to my products when I launch them. They pay attention to the products not because I'm launching them, but because I have a track record of launching interesting projects. So people are missing it, you know. They're like, oh, I have to create a lot of buzz for my product. No, you have to create a product that creates a lot of buzz. You can't create buzz. It's like that buzz marketing bullshit that everybody was talking about three years ago, or whatever. It doesn't exist. Buzz is the knack. Buzz is like love. You can't make love. You have to find a person and fall in love with them, and then love comes out of that relationship. You fall in love with a person, but it's not. You don't manufacture love. You don't manufacture buzz. Or if you do, it's manufactured love and it's manufactured buzz, which means it's not real. You sent some negative love to paper post in the presentation, and you're not alone. Okay, I, th I think the paper post guys are misguided. I think Ted actually is, I don't know if he's the smartest guy. He's certainly not the smartest guy I've met. He's definitely one of the most resilient. I mean, the guy's banging his head against the wall for like two or three years now, and he's been taking it from all angles. I mean, Google, FTC, me, my Garrington, Scoble. <laughs> everybody hates him, and everybody hates what he's doing. And, you know, he's stubborn which can be a good business quality. Maybe he's so stubborn that he'll be stubborn in his desire to build a successful business, but maybe he'll listen about why people think his service is bad, which is it's deceptive. If he just put all of his effort into doing something non-deceptive, I think he'd be very successful. So one of the last questions we ask everyone on the podcast is, what websites or online tools are you using for personal productivity? Any um, new widgets out there that are on your... Uh, I see you've got the new Mac Air... MacBook Air. What websites or tools do you use? Well, I'm really enjoying WebKit, which is the open source version of Safari's browser on Mac. It's very fast and stable. So I've stopped using Firefox as my default browser. I have all my plugins on Firefox, but I have a clean install of WebKit that I surf on because it's much faster, like five times faster than Firefox. And it doesn't grind to a halt because of all the plugins. And then if I have to use a plugin for Delicious or Stumble, I will then cut and paste the URL over to Firefox. So I've got this sort of way of having all the features of Firefox with all the speed of a stripped-down browser concurrently, which I think has um, really, really made me much more um, effective in what I do. I've become a big fan of IRC chat rooms. I've been starting chat rooms, you know, to discuss topics on a sort of ad hoc basis. It works really well. Uh, so I've been using this Colloquy. Colloquy is a chat. I mean, people use MIRC, I think, for PCs, but I'm sort of falling in love with that again and listservs again. I love listservs. People, you know, we start listservs at Mahalo for all different topics, the how-to team, the sports team. And so there can just be these discussions that go on, and then the list goes away for three weeks, and then all of a sudden there's more activity on it. But all the people who are on the list are, you know, into that topic. So it's a lot of a lot of fun to listserv. Um, and uh, I like carrying a BlackBerry and an iPhone with me and having both. You know, that works really well. Um, and I just got a new thing, which is a Wi-Fi router. I don't have it with me, but you can plug your Evdo card into a Wi-Fi router and share it with your friends so when you're at a conference or something like that or you're with your wife or three or four people you can just boom all of a sudden have your own Wi-Fi access point yeah. pretty dope and what blogs are you reading what podcasts are you listening to I listen to every episode of This Week in Tech whether I'm on it or not and the Gilmore Gang whether I'm on it or not I uh, listen religiously to the Daily Searchcast with Danny Sullivan 
although he's being very lazy and only doing like five shows and he takes off a week and five shows. <laughs> so I think Danny Sullivan needs to um, figure out a way to have other people run the show when he's not around because the guy is constantly traveling on conferences and whatever. He's too busy, so he needs to get a co-host or somebody who can run the show when he's not around. He does have a co-host, but the co-host should do the show when he's not around. That's about it right now. I mean, I watch our own Mahalo Daily, which is our video show, which is for a general audience, not a tech audience, but I you know, watch that every day religiously, and that's going very well. It's got 60,000 people watching every episode on average. So, How about your blog? Are you a blog reader? Yeah, I read blogs. I mean, I read my friends' blogs, Scoble and Fred Wilson and you know, ex-friends like Dave Weiner. <laughs> and uh, I basically read people you know, who have ideas. Brad Feld has always got good stuff. Jeremy Liu, actually, at Lightspeed Adventure Partners. Um, who I think is wrong some of the time, but he, he does been writing some interesting stuff of late. Um, I like individuals, you know. Um, I like following people's Twitter streams a lot. I find that interesting. What are some of the coolest things you've learned on Twitter, neatest experiences? Well, I'm able to, when I'm in a city and I don't want to eat alone, like when I was in San Francisco last time, I was like, I didn't really want to get dim sum or Chinese, and, you know, I can go to have dim sum with 10 people because everybody's like, yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, now? Okay. So that spontaneity is great. I just love it. When I was in Barcelona recently, I was like, where should I get hot chocolate? I'm in the Rambla. And people were sending me the address. And I was like, well, I'm at this location. I'm like, okay, go two blocks south and then go to my left. So I use, like, Twitter as my own personal bat signal (laughs) slash, you know, like, personal assistant. You know, Uh, like when I was in Paris, I was like, where should I shop for clothes? And they're like, oh, go to this gallery thing or whatever. I'm like, it's really really helpful I sort of actually use it as a search engine or a personal concierge yeah, Joe Jaffe was looking for a lunch date this morning on Twitter in LA well that's classic Jaffe <laughs> not able to get a lunch date <laughs> beautiful what does his wife think of him looking for lunch dates I love Joe Jaffe he's a smart guy he is he's great Show. the Jaffe Juice I don't know why you're listening to Jaffe Juice maybe you're maybe you're a marketer maybe you aspire to be a marketer maybe you don't know what you are maybe we're all here maybe it doesn't matter maybe somebody's listening maybe nobody's listening I don't know I'm Joseph Jaffe you're listening to the daily Jaffe Juice your juiciest juice of the Jaffe's juice beautiful that's how he talks we, though, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like a mile a minute. He doesn't answer any questions. He just starts proposing more questions. <laughs> well, no, no. He, like, he plays one call in. Is the second spot working? I don't know. Maybe it's working. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're TiVoing it. Maybe you're zipping through it. Maybe you're listening to it. Maybe it's passively impacting you. Maybe it's subconscious. Maybe you're subconsciously liking what you subconsciously don't like. I don't know. Who are some other people you don't like right now? Who are some of the people doing, <laughs> doing bad stuff? Well, <laughs> Let's be honest here. I mean, not that I dislike Ted Murphy for paper boats. I just like what he does. And I've told him personally and many times in public, like, clean up your act. You know, do something that adds to the world. So, I don't, it's not like I hate anybody. I mean, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I, You know, people tend to think that I'm like anti-SEO crusader or something like that. Or or just do good, do-gooder. I think the thing is, I what I didn't realize was, I always talked very bluntly about what I liked and didn't like, and my opinion on stuff. And then as my voice got heard more often, I didn't realize exactly how much people were hearing it or the ramifications of it. So, like, when I said Squidoo was filled with spam, and, you know, I said Squidoo was filled with spam, and then all of a sudden this whole conversation started about spam and Squidoo and should they be kicked out of the index, and there's affiliate marketing and paid links in it. And So it was, you know, kind of interesting how that... I didn't intend to give Seth Godin a hard time. I was starting a conversation like I always do. And people call me out on my BS all the time. If I make one little mistake, we're like, oh, first question today was, okay, I'd like to list all the ways in which Calacanis is a hypocrite. You have the Alexa toolbar. You're a hypocrite. You have this. You're a hypocrite. You said that Dig was great, but Dig has spam in it. Like, I, I put the spam there. I was like, it's a ridiculous question. Like, you say you don't like spam, but you uh, added everybody in your address book and you didn't add me. I was like... I don't know about the individual incident you're talking about, but I have like 3,000 people on LinkedIn or something. I had everybody. I just haven't gotten through all of them yet, you know? It's like, so, you know, it's, I like our industry, how we mix it up a little bit and have fun. And I thought that today was wonderful because um, it, it felt constructive. And I could tell people were thinking. So anytime I can be involved in a discussion that results in people thinking, I think it's kind of cool, right? Yeah, I, I hope... We- people connected with it because I, a few of the throwaway comments you made could have the same effect like the F- SEO conference but I think your overall message I hope people got it and I hope 
this industry can start taking some positive steps because you're, you're totally bang on. Well, you know, people can take anybody out of context. You know, the SEO folks like to take me out of context and, you know, they take that one quote and they make it into like, it's like my, the name of my blog is SEO is bullshit. Like, it's not the name of my <laughs> blog. It's calcanus.com. Oh, whatever. You know, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. I wouldn't mix it up if I couldn't handle it. And listen, we're all very lucky to work in this industry and it's a lot of good people and a fun time and can make a lot of money and do incredible things. I mean, we're all very lucky and blessed to be here. Amen. Do you have any last thoughts for our, our folks, the 10 Golden Rules? Well, I, you know, I, I would say dare to be great. Uh, I think a lot of people are a little paralyzed by, you know, or intimidated by what other people are doing in our industry and like, how well it's going. You have to remember, Kevin Rose was just like a nobody commentator on this little G4 channel like he wasn't he was like nobody he was like an afterthought and now he's king of the world right and he deserves to be why because he had the guts to try to do something great and he succeeded he did build two great services three rev three pounds and that I mean so you look at a Kevin Rose he's, he's like he's trying and other people don't even try you look at Mike Arrington he's trying oh Malik he's trying you know like people are trying to do great things and if they fail they fail but really don't overestimate the downside the downside is you fail and you move on and you learn and the next time you're wiser and smarter and you don't want to get to the end of your life and feel like everybody else you know tried and you didn't even try if you tried and failed who cares if you didn't try that's kind of hard to live with that's my guiding principle that's my golden rule you miss 100 percent of shots you don't take that's great thanks jason oh my pleasure well, a big thank you to Jason Kalkenis for taking part. Uh, clearly one of the guys setting the tone for the industry and uh, really uh, you know, playing the drums and, and setting the drum beat in the jungle out there. So uh, thank you all so much for listening to the show. A big thank you to our callers, Auction Wally, Glenn Pooler. Congratulations to Keith Burtis, newly engaged thanks to social media chipping in. A great joke of the week, and congratulations, Larry, on your launch. And thanks to Ted Murphy and Jason Kalkenis. How'd you like the show? Please take a minute right now to call in your comments or questions or any critique to 206-888-6606. Send us an audio comment or an audio file at j at 10goldenrules.com. Every week we end the show with a song selection from the Podsafe Music Network. And I was absolutely thrilled to see that the Oscar-winning best song was available on Podsafe. I heard it on a couple different podcasts. So... Glenn Hansard explained the story of the song about being at a party and his girlfriend goes to get a drink and across the room a figure catches the corner of his eye and she looks great and then he realizes it's his girlfriend and says, Kutching! I know that feeling and I've experienced that a few times with my wife. So anyways, here's Oscar winners Glenn Hansard and Marketa Ergolova with Falling Slowly, the soundtrack from The Music Once, um, According to Wikipedia, Hansard quit school at age 13 to begin busking on local Dublin streets. He first came to widespread public attention as guitar player Outspan Foster in the Alan Parker film The Commitments. In April 2006, he released his first solo album, The Swell Season, and during filming of the movie Once, he started falling in love with Marquetta. So here is the song it had uh, from, from the movie Once. It had its American premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in 2007, um, received the festival's World Cinema Award, and recently won the Academy Award. And anyway, so here's Once. Have a great week, everybody. 10, 9, 8.
Produced with Cast Blaster. Thank you for listening to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing podcast. Please send comments and questions to podcast at 10goldenrules.com. That's podcast at 10goldenrules.com. Or use our call in line 206 888 6606.